Good day, Crime Talk aficionados. It is January 25th, 2024, and we have a big show for you today. First, Alec Baldwin says, let's do this thing. Jennifer Crumley's trial begins. The Ninth Circuit, that's right, the Ninth Circuit finds that the FBI flagrantly violated the Fourth Amendment. Gee, I wonder what will come of that. Hmm. Crime creates poverty. Let me give you an example. And then our dumb criminal of the day. Wait until you hear what this knucklehead does. Let's talk about it. Hi, lawyer. Lawyer. Good day, everyone. My name is Scott Reich, and this is Crime Talk. Thanks for joining us. You know the drill. Subscribe if you haven't. Like if you do. Leave me a comment below. Hit that little bell for notifications. And remember, you can listen to us anytime on any of your favorite podcasting apps. Let's get straight to the docket. Alec Baldwin, all right? I'm not a big fan of Alec Baldwin, but I like his style, at least for now. We'll see if it holds up, so to speak. Alec Baldwin, through his attorneys, are demanding a speedy trial in part to minimize public vilification and suspicion of him and to avoid the hazards of proving innocence that has often arisen after a lengthy delay in this prosecution, his attorneys noted. Now, the analysis of the gun, this new analysis, opened the way for the prosecutors to refile charges in this case after the prosecutors have originally dismissed the um, uh, case against Alec Baldwin for involuntary manslaughter last year. Now, in the new indictment that was handed down, it alleges that Baldwin caused the death of Helena Hutchinson, the director there on the set of Rust, either by negligence or by total disregard or indifference for safety. So, as I noted, the defense attorneys for Alec Baldwin indicate they're going to fight these charges. Have you ever noticed how everybody's going to fight these charges? They do. I'm a big fan of kind of keeping it low profile in the press early on when they start asking about what you're going to do. But I get it. Anyway, Alec Baldwin faces up to 18 months in prison. So yeah, he definitely has an interest to fight this case. Now, every time that charges are filed, the prosecution has a duty under Rule 16 of the Rules of Criminal Procedure in just about every jurisdiction to turn over everything. But defense attorneys, we file motions to CYA ourselves so that when the district attorney says, oh, we turned everything over or you didn't ask for it, you do that. So let's just go through a couple of things that Alec Baldwin's attorneys are requesting. Now they're going to get this, but any statements made by Mr. Baldwin, they probably have that from the last case. This is standard boilerplate stuff in every case. Any books, papers, documents, photographs, and tangible evidence, any reports or reports of mental examinations, scientific tests, experiments, and polygraphs conducted on witnesses, a written list of all of the names and addresses of any of witnesses, any material evidence favorable to the defendant, which the state is required to produce under the due process clause, and disclosure of all agreements between any witnesses who may testify against Mr. Baldwin. Standard routine, and the defense is entitled to all that information. Like I said, it's a CYA, putting the prosecutor on notice, do your job. Well, Baldwin's co-defendants uh, there on the Russ set, the armorer, Hannah Gutierrez-Reed, well, she has a motions hearing today, and um, her trial is scheduled to start on February 21st. Baldwin will appear via 
WebEx via the web for his formal arraignment on February 1. And if he enters a plea of not guilty, guess what? That will start that speedy trial clock and get this thing going. Alec Baldwin is getting a little bit of support. And who's that support coming from? The union, the Screen Actors Guild, is uh, coming out swinging against the prosecutors in the New Mexico case. And uh, they say the prosecution needs to stop. Alec Baldwin is not named specifically in the Screen Actors Guild statement, but you kind of get the feeling who they're alluding to, and they're slamming the decision of the prosecutors to now go twice after Alec Baldwin. The union made it clear that knowing how to handle a firearm is not an actor's job. They also put in their statement, to the extent that charges filed on January 19th are based on an accusation of negligence use of a firearm predicated on this or any actor having a duty to inspect a firearm as part of its use, that is an incorrect assertion of the actual duties of the actor on the set. Then they come out swinging a little more and says an actor's job is not to be a firearm or weapons experts. Firearms are provided for use on the set under the guidance of multiple expert professionals directly responsible for the firearms safe and accurate operation. So what you're getting there is, um, let me guess, somebody in the Screen Actors Guild is going to be an expert witness for Alec Baldwin. I get the argument he's making, it makes complete sense to me. What the prosecutor is going to say is, I get it, but the gun was ultimately his. It was in his hand. And the fact that a bullet was ejected from that firearm that Mr. Baldwin had in his hand is, is sufficient, that he was negligent in not pointing it in a safe direction. I know. I've done this trial. I've lost this trial. Good luck to uh, Mr. Uh, Baldwin on that case. And like I said, I'm not a big fan of his, but I get the argument that he is making. Next on the docket, the trial begins in the Jennifer Crumley matter. A jury has been selected and opening statements were scheduled to begin today for Jennifer Crumley, the first parent in America to be charged and going to trial in regards to a mass shooting. The uh, jury panel is made up of 12 jurors and five alternates, includes 10 women and seven men, most of them parents, including multiple gun owners and hunters, who will be tasked with determining whether Miss Crumley is responsible for the deaths of four students killed by her son back in 2021 at the Oxford High School. Now, the uh, trial began this morning, and both sides were scheduled to deliver their opening statements. As you may recall, Ethan Crumley, the actual shooter, pled guilty and has been sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole. But his new attorneys are appealing that sentence given his age at the time of the offense. Now, prosecutors are seeking to hold the parents, both parents, responsible for the deaths of Hannah St. Juliana, Tate Meyer, Madison Baldwin, and Justin Schilling. Now, the um, judge in this case, Cheryl Matthews, stressed to the jurors during the uh, voir dire process, we're not deciding if someone is a bad parent or a good parent. Um, and those were a lot of the questions uh, that were asked of the potential jurors related to that. Now, the Crumleys have long maintained that they did not know about this journal that their son had, the uh, texts that he was sending, or the birds that he apparently had mutilated and that they had safely secured the gun at issue and that going to the uh, gun range was their family hobby. 
So the prosecutors argue that the parents knew their son needed mental health treatment, but instead bought him a gun uh, to be used on the shooting back in uh, 2021 as an early Christmas present. So some of the questions asked, do you think your children would be able to hide something from you that was asked to the jurors. The last, that particular question elicited quite a response from a male juror who talked about how he and his wife didn't know their son was researching how to commit suicide on the internet after the uh, drowning death of his friend. Someone at school noticed their son's behavior and uh, that it was changing, and they contacted the parents who eventually found out that their son was depressed and, uh, like I said, contemplating the suicide. Another juror, a mother with two children, talked about how her daughter was using social media as a personal diary to the world until her mother finally looked at her account and discovered all the activity. The juror said, quote, I just didn't believe she could be that careless, the mother noted, and juror, and uh, added that uh, she now checks her daughter's social media daily. They know how to get around you. Now, why is that interesting? Well, those jurors are talking in front of the other jurors and say, wow, you know what? These people seem like reasonable people. They're on a jury. And guess what? They had an experience where they didn't know exactly what their children were doing. So it's interesting. I have said this from all from the beginning. The Crumleys may not get the Parent of the Year award, but be careful what you wish for. I get it. It was a mass shooting. Everybody wants somebody to pay for it. Well, the person that did it is responsible. And to say that you failed to act, be careful, ladies and gentlemen. Be careful where this is going. Why does it stop at the parents? How about charging some of the people at the school? How come they didn't notice? What about the neighbors? Maybe uh, counselors, the um, people at uh, you know the kid's job. How about his friends? How about his parents' friends? How, why not them? So regardless of what happens, and I'm sure Ms. Crumley will be convicted because the juror wants somebody to happen, it'll have to go to the appellate courts to decide if this was the appropriate case. I'm telling you, be careful what you wish for. All right, ladies and gentlemen, because guess what? It could be you or a family member, and you're saying, I didn't know, and they're going to say, you're his parent. You're the grandparent. You could have watched this kid. You failed. And you said, I did the best I could under the circumstances that I had. I didn't help the kid plan it. I didn't participate in it. I didn't assist him. I didn't drive him to school with it. That's it, ladies and gentlemen. I know a lot of people don't agree with my analysis on this, and that's okay. You don't have to march in lockstep with what I'm saying. I'm just telling you why I think it's wrong. Now, next story we have. You know... There's always people that say, well, what does the Fourth Amendment need? I'm not doing anything wrong. What do we need it for? And I always, and we've talked about this numerous times, that the Bill of Rights, the first 10 amendments to the United States Constitution is really a checklist for any dictator, okay? You have to get rid of, and this is why the Founding Fathers put this in there because they had looked and said, if we're going to have a dictator, this is what they're going to do. Right under the First Amendment, get rid of the church, public assembly. Uh, the press can't write anything bad about the king. All those type of things. Take away everybody's weapons. Oh, we're going to be allowed to come in and search your stuff 
whenever we want to. Fifth Amendment, right to due process. Sixth Amendment, right to counsel. All those things that the king hated, that people demanded when they were accused of a crime. Well, guess what? The FBI has been found by the Ninth Circuit, okay, to have overstepped its constitutional authority when agents searched hundreds of safe deposit boxes without a warrant. Yeah. So let me go through this and I'll explain even more. But people should be outraged. And this is not like on the front page of every newspaper. I don't know why. But the fact that the FBI thought they could get away with this and then were so nonchalant to the court, unbelievable. So this goes back to a 2021 case. And the uh, court in this particular case said that the tactics of the FBI were kind of this indiscriminate search that led to the enactment of the Bill of Rights. Huh. Almost like, where did I hear that from? Scott? Where's Scott been saying this all along? The Fourth Amendment was there to protect the king and the king's men coming in, rummaging your house, saying, we're not sure what we're looking for, but we'll know it when we see it. So here's what started it. This is what got it all. It just fires me up. So back in March of 2021, the FBI raided the private vaults. Now, this was a company that was started in Beverly Hills for people to put items into a safe deposit box versus having to go to the bank to get a safe deposit box. So the company that um, had the safe deposit box marketed its services about client anonymity and privacy, and it appealed to what the FBI thought were to gambling rings and drug operations, but also customers who were unable to get a deposit box at their bank or simply mistrusted the banks and preferred to store their valuables elsewhere. So the FBI, thinking that some of these safe deposit boxes could be that of a drug dealer, seized everybody's safe deposit box. And in this case, they seized millions of dollars in cash from the safe deposit box, plus a bunch of jewelry, personal effects, documents such as wills, prenuptial agreements, things that you would normally put in a safe deposit box. And this place sounded like it was a little easier to get into than the bank. Initially, the lower court uh, disagreed and said there was no violation of the Fourth Amendment. Now, this lower court judge I kind of would wonder where they got their law degree from, uh, why they thought that was okay. So the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals unanimously reversed the trial court's decision, and the court ruled that the FBI exceeded the bounds of a warrant obtained prior to the raid, which explicitly did not authorize any criminal search or seizure of the box's actual contents. The FBI's warrant application omitted key details of the raid plan, including that the special agent in charge had directed agents to open every box, preserve every fingerprint available, inventory the contents of everything, and have the drug dogs sniff all of the cash. And if there remained any doubt regarding whether the government conducted a criminal search or seizure, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals ruled That doubt is put to rest by the fact that the government has already used some of the information from inside the boxes to obtain additional warrants to further its investigation and begin new investigations. And understand, ladies and gentlemen, that would be like saying, we're going to search the entire block because we think one person is a drug dealer on your street. 
And then when they take all your stuff and you said, I didn't do anything wrong like these people did, and we said, we'd like our stuff back, the FBI said, no, we're not giving it to you. So at the oral arguments in December, one of the three judges on the Ninth Circuit called the FBI search of each safe deposit box without probable cause egregious and outrageous. Another judge likened the FBI's actions to the maligned general warrants and writs of assistance issued in colonial times, which authorized British officials to search colonists' homes indiscriminately for smuggled tea. Now, the Ninth Circuit opinion repeated all of these concerns, and the court found it particularly troubling that the government failed to explain why its argument would not open the door to these kinds of writs of assistance the British authorities used prior to the founding to conduct limitless searches of an individual's personal belongings. The court went on and said it was those very abuses of power, after all, that led to the adoption of the Fourth Amendment in the first place, the court pointed out. So five days after being grilled at oral arguments, the government tried to make the case go away with a precedent-setting ruling that the FBI's actions were unconstitutional. Government attorneys filed a motion asking the Ninth Circuit to give the plaintiffs what they wanted in order to destroy records of the FBI search. The government had fought against the destruction of the records for more than two years, and plaintiffs' attorneys were surprised by about-face when they called the attempt to sweep a massive constitutional violation under the rug. Now, the government did not, however, concede that the FBI raid was flawed. Instead, the government told the Ninth Circuit that it wanted to avoid a published judicial opinion impugning the actions and good faith motivations of law enforcement in this highly unusual case in which a company was aiding criminality and protecting criminals by operating a vault of anonymous safe deposit boxes. Well, geez, ladies and gentlemen, my goodness, you would think if someone's using, I don't know, Gmail, uh, iCloud, that's a drug dealer. Well, let's just search everybody's because, you know, can't let this all go on. And to say that this was an isolated incident, are you kidding me? How many times have I said this, ladies and gentlemen? Nobody gets up in the morning that works for the government and says, you know what? I think this search is, is unreasonable. I think the people deserve further protection under the Fourth Amendment. No, the Bill of Rights is a limitation on power for the government. And the government does one thing. How do we get around the Bill of Rights? They do it on a daily basis, ladies and gentlemen. And if you are that naive to think that they're not doing that, well, you truly are naive. And what's even more offensive to me, because everybody always says, Oh, the FBI agents, they're all good. The line deputies are all good. It's the bureaucrats at the top. Why aren't those line officers, those line FBI agents telling the top, this warrant is bogus. This is illegal. Most FBI agents, not most, a lot have law degrees. Most of them are CPAs. They're smart people. Why are the line deputy FBI agents not saying this is wrong? They do it. And I'm telling you, they can say, oh, we're good faith. We, the judge issued it. We must be good. You have a duty at some point to say this is wrong. Kind of like the Crumleys, right? Could you imagine if we started prosecuting people for violating people's constitutional rights? Oh, that's right. We usually don't do that. But you can get a civil judgment against them. And it's interesting how the FBI didn't want this brought out because now there's precedent from the Ninth Circuit that says 
the FBI violates people's rights. So this Ninth Circuit did exactly what the government uh, feared, and they ordered the FBI to destroy the records of the search, including copies in their evidence database. Needless to say, the United States Attorney's Office didn't respond to requests for comments and say that, but they did say we are prepared to destroy records of the inventory search, which is the relief sought by the plaintiffs. The mere fact that they, nobody, nobody on the government side thought to say until it was going to get embarrassing for them that this was wrong just blows my mind. The libertarian organization and the attorney that was uh, representing uh, the uh, plaintiffs in this little case said that uh, the today's opinion draws a line in the sand. And that's uh, Rob Johnson. He is an attorney at the Institute for Justice, which is a uh, libertarian nonprofit representing the plaintiffs. And he said, quote, if this had come out the other way, the government could have exported this raid as a model across the country. Now the government is on notice. Its actions violated the Fourth Amendment. It's crazy, ladies and gentlemen, that anybody, anybody with even an iota, even a little scintilla of knowledge of the law and the Fourth Amendment thought that that was okay. And that the fact that everybody went along with it, and then what they do, they basically tried to cover it up and they said, poo-poo you. And it wasn't until the FBI got sued that they finally got the relief that they wanted. And it was only when it was going to be embarrassing to the FBI that they said, yeah, we'll go ahead and do it. You know, don't do that order, judge. And the court said, no. We're going to issue this order. Don't do it again. And, you know, people probably laugh at me and I say, that's what the Bill of Rights is. This is exactly what the king did to the the colonists. And that's why we have the Bill of Rights. Everything that a dictator wants, you just have to go to the Bill of Rights and that's their checklist. Get rid of this. Get rid of this. It's to protect the people from the dictators. Ask yourself, who, who is always trying to infringe upon those rights. The government. I don't know about you, but I feel better. Thanks for, let me get that off my chest. Hey, how many times have we said crime creates poverty? Let me give you an example. Look at this. Thieves stole an ATM from a Bank of America in Oakland, California. Not one of the best cities in America, in my humble opinion. Now, I've only been there once, but let's just say we were told not to go to particular parts of the city uh, after dark. This was years ago. We were investigating uh, witnesses in a case. Uh, so I can only imagine what it is like now. Anyway, this theft of this ATM was just down the street from where the city's only in and out burger is going to close. Now, take a look at the video from the scenes that showed the, F the ATM hitched to a van with a cable flying down the street with sparks uh, sparking from the pavement. Now, the Bank of America there on the Hedgenberger Road sported a uh, boarded up window following Sunday morning's break-in. Police said another ATM was also stolen about an hour earlier from a nearby business, and that too was also recovered. Now, uh, Anthony Pearson uh, was taken into custody to uh, the uh, robbery and was charged by the district attorney. They believe that there are also additional suspects in the case. Really? Probably because he had an ATM being drugged behind his car. 
<laughs> I wonder how why the police stopped him for that. Some people would say that wouldn't be reasonable suspicion. Anyway, the robbery occurred just down the street from the city's only In-N-Out Burger, which will shut its doors for good on March 24th, marking the first time that the company has closed a restaurant in its 75-year history. And not because it's not profitable, it's just that the area is not safe. The company spokesperson said that they were left with no alternative due to the frequency and the severity of the crime being encountered by their customers and their employees. And despite taking repeated steps to create a safer condition, their customers and their employees are regularly victimized by car break-ins, property damage, theft, and armed robberies. The spokesperson also noted for the company that uh, the close the location was busy and profitable during its nearly two decades in business, but they did not want to encourage employees or their uh, customers to visit a uh, environment that is unsafe. The roughly 100 employees affected by the closure will have the option to transfer to a nearby restaurant in San Francisco or receive a severance for losing their job. Now, there was an increase in police presence in the area Wednesday as the city pledged to crack down on crime there in the Hagenberger Corridor, according to the Oakland Mayor Sheng Tao. Now, uh, she issued her own statement regarding the restaurant closure, and she says, as mayor, I prioritize the critical gateway to Oakland and surge police presence and employed technology to deter and respond to criminal behavior. The surge in public safety resources have led to a reduction in property crimes along the Hegenberger Corridor, the mayor said. Um, so, like I said, the In-N-Out closure is the latest in a series of chains shuttering their Oakland's uh, restaurant. Some of those other chains, you may think, they're shutting down. I wonder why. Oh, Starbucks, not safe. Target, not safe. Not to mention all the little mom and pops that are run out of business because people have no respect for other people's property. So, like I said, I, I, people look at me like I have a third eye on my forehead some days when I say this stuff. People want to know why there's no businesses in an area because there's crime. There's a bunch of homeless people urinating, defecating on the street. Who wants to go to that? I have all but stopped going downtown in our location here in Denver. Used to love to go downtown. A pit, it's gross. And they're trying to clean it up and they just are moving the problem from one area of the city to the next. They're not solving any problems. And not surprising, they have a complete exodus here in Denver of businesses downtown. And they try to clean it up for a little bit and say, oh, look, we're doing great. They just moved the problem and nobody gets it. Crime creates poverty. Who's going to go to an area where there's a bunch of crime? They're not. Why do politicians not get this? It's common sense. And finally today, our dumb criminal of the day. Now, there is a um, good reason why people say it's uh, dumb criminals doing stupid things. Another example, bank robbery in Chicago happened uh, the other afternoon uh, about two weeks ago. Now, in this particular case, there was only one bank robber, and he entered the building and pulled out his gun. The man threatened the employee and demanded money. Uh, the bank employees placed the money, uh, cash, in the bag that the uh, bank robber had requested. Then the suspect took off from the bank. That's what they're doing. They're getting away. Well, news say the police put out, uh, you know, did their investigation, put out uh, uh, a tip on the suspect, and they received a tip that broke the case. 
a female witness contacted the police. Why? Because apparently she talked to the suspect right before he committed the bank robbery. According to this woman, yeah, that guy was actually hitting on her. And then the uh, dumb criminal gave her his phone number. Well, this woman saw the story on the news and recognized that as the guy that was hitting on her. So she called the police. They were able to track him down and arrest the man. The woman said that he asked for a cigarette and began telling her that he was a sugar daddy because he was probably going to have all that money take care of her. Oh, and uh, he also mentioned that he was going to be running for president in 2024. The two spoke for about two minutes, and then he gave the witness who turned him in his cell phone number which she ultimately gave to the police that got him arrested. Unidentified bank robber man, you are our dumb criminal of the day. All right, ladies and gentlemen, I hope you enjoyed the show. Thank you for watching. We'll see you tomorrow. And yes, remember, the Constitution matters.